All right, I got an assignment for everybody. Kids first. Younger kids. I want you to uh, draw a picture. Carrie Ellen Caleb, you guys have those bags back there? I want you to draw a picture for me. Not for me. I want you to draw a picture for your parents of what would be the best gift that you could get. Okay, so I want you to think about that. What would be the best gift that you could get? And I want you to draw a picture of it. And I want you to show it to your mom and dad or grandma and grandpa. And I want you to explain what it is to them after the sermon. And then I want you to ask them what Pastor John said was the best gift we could ever receive from God, okay? So you draw a picture of your best gift you can think of. For the next group up, you them there teenagers and older, older little kids, I want you to think about what you wish you had, right? So may, maybe it's a horse. May, maybe it's a new gaming system. Maybe it's an iPhone 15. I want you to think, may, maybe it's another dog, right, Trip Boys? I want you to think about what the one thing is you really wish you could have. Because if you had it, then you could finally be happy. And out of really old kids, y'all come along for the ride. I'll tell you this, I love family history. I love hearing stories from my family about how great-grandpa met great-grandma and, and what they did in their lives and how they got here and who their kids were and what their kids were like all the way down to the present day. And every time I ask about family, I learn something new, and I love it. I love being reminded of the history of my earthly family. Far more so to be reminded of our history as God's family, where we came from, how we got here, and where we're going. And the text we have before us today is magnificent. Luke 18, verse 9. He, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his, chest, his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, I tell you. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. If you go back to Luke 9, you'll notice, moving forward, We've had a lot of commands. We've been told, deny yourself, die to self. Warn against foolishness. Be ready for Jesus' return. Repent or perish. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Hate your father, mother, sister, brother, self. Better to have a millstone tied around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to sin. Read the epistles. They're full of commandments. Offer your lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Do this, do this, do this, do this, but look where this is placed. This is not a do this text, and this is so important. Jesus gives commandments. However, to understand the purpose of, the point of, and the way to keep his commandments requires 
that we hold them in their proper place. See, sometimes people think by keeping Jesus' commandments, you earn his favor. Jesus is talking to those people in this text. Some people think that, that we have to obey God to be saved because faith without works is dead. And that's in the Bible, isn't it? So what do you do with it? Can you kill those fans? Anybody else picking up the Yeah. Everything Jesus calls his people to, listen to this, everything Jesus calls his people to is a call in light of what Jesus has already done. It's in light of who we are in Christ, and it's in light of what Jesus enables us to do. Said another way, a call to obedience is not to earn God's favor, but is rather an invitation as those who have already received his favor to live out what we have already been made. The commands of Jesus are really descriptions of how those who have been miraculously born anew are now able and called to live. So they're not suggestions. They're not, well, if you feel like it, do it. They are commandments but they must be held in their proper place. And that place is seen in our text today. I'll say one more thing. Faithful obedience is not so much a destination you arrive at as a process God unfolds in your life as those who are saved. So as we hear all of these commandments, Jesus steps in here at a wonderfully perfect time parable and speaks to, notice what it says, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so he tells us a parable with two folks. I got a Pharisee and a tax collector. It's a really straightforward, simple parable. Pharisees are expected at the temple. You go to the temple twice a day, morning and evening sacrifices. Pharisees are always there. Pharisee is praying, Lord! I am the greatest. I am the wisest. I am the best. I thank you, Lord. Sound like Ali. Rumble, young man, rumble. I'm sorry. He's saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Lord, I, I, I thank you that, that I fast twice a week. How many times a week were the Jews required to fast? Anyone have an idea? Do I have one time a week, one time a week, one fast a week? Anybody want one? I love anybody with two, two, two. How many times, two? How many times a week were Jews required to fast? How many times a year? Day of Atonement. It's the only required fast. So this guy's like, Lord, I thank you that I fast 99% more than anybody else. I tithe everything I get. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, just praying for God's provision, right? Y'all better tithe everything. I'm kidding. He's going, everything that comes in, I strain it out. Ten off the top. Ten percent right back to you. That's not what God required off of everything. Read the Old Testament carefully. I give more than I have to. I fast more than I have to. I pray more than I have to. I'm better than anybody else. And if you listen to his prayer... The whole thing sounds more like a personal pep talk than a praise of God. What's the most common word in the Pharisee's prayer recorded in this parable? I. Five times. I, 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 I. 
This is a man who was truly thanking God, but he was thanking God for how good he was. You know, the Pharisees, they believed in God's sovereignty. The Pharisees, they, they believed God was gracious. Did you know that? They just believed God was gracious in that God made a way for people to be reconciled to himself. And that way was by good works. The Pharisees trusted in their own righteousness to earn God's favor. And then way over here, I got another guy in the parable praying. He's over here. He's got his head down like this. Won't even look up. He's beating his breast. Right? He has, he has shame. He knows who God is. He has grief and repentance over sin. And what is his prayer? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He won't even come close. What's wrong with this guy? And this is marvelous. That's easily missed in your English translations. And this is a point where people go, well, I wish I could learn Greek. You, know, you don't need to learn Greek. Listen, you come here, you're preaching. You're not, if you read and studied this text before Sunday, which I hope you guys do before we gather for preaching, you would miss very little of this. I'm just going to show you something marvelous in the Greek. The word merciful is the word helaskomai. It's only two times used in the New Testament, here and in Hebrews. It does mean mercy, but it means way more than mercy. It's a picture of Leviticus 16 into 17. The word means basically propitiate and expiate. And you all know what those mean, so I don't need to explain those, do I? Dylan, you want to get up and explain propitiation for the church? Tyler will do expiation. Remember, they're at the temple praying. And in the temple, you would have had the holy place and the holy of holies. And in there, you have the ark. And on top of the ark, you have the mercy seat. And under the mercy seat, you have the tablets of the law. And on the day of atonement, the high priest would sacrifice. He'd bring two lambs, sacrifice one, and he'd take the blood of the lamb and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. The other one went away into the wilderness, a scapegoat. And during the time of the sacrifice, this tax collector is praying, God, God, be merciful to me. God, expiate and propitiate me. God, mercy seat yourself before me, is what he's saying. He's saying, God, I can't look up to you because I see your holiness. I see your righteousness and I see my sin. God, I can't come near you because I'm unworthy and I would die. But God, I know you to be gracious. God, mercy seat yourself to me. Forgive me. Reconcile me. Propitiate and expiate. Expiate, take away. Think of the X, exit. The, the lamb that goes away into the wilderness, our sins are removed from us. What is that? Somebody help me out here. Psalm... Um, Come on, 30-something. David says, ah, see, now we're going to have to go for a look. one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Right? We, we got expiate, propitiate. Propitiate 
is God's wrath being removed from the sinner. God turning his wrath away from the sinner so that he might turn his favor upon the sinner. See what's going on here? That blood on the mercy seat where the tablets of the law were kept that had been broken, that the presence of God dwelling there, being appeased by blood, not the blood of the lamb, but blood that would be shed by another lamb in years to come who stood before and told this very parable. This tax collector cries out, God be mercy seated to me. We give a bad reputation to the Pharisees. It, I don't know, if you picture a Pharisee, don't you see like a weaselly figure? You're like, <laughs> let's kill him, let's kill him, <laughs> right? They're like large rodents. If I was doing a, an animated Bible story, they'd be like raccoons and rodents. And then the tax collector is kind of like a big burly guy you kind of feel bad for. He's like, I'm the tax collector, I break your legs. It's kind of like a big dumb dog. But you feel bad for him because he knows he's kind of gone bad. So it's like, oh, let's go, let's go. Right? I'm trying, guys, I'm trying. <laughs> Pharisees were bad, but they're not as bad as you think. Because we're kind of like Pharisees. Now, I've never had a Sunday where I say, what can we pray for today? And someone goes, can we praise God that, that I am so awesome? <laughs> I mean, I was looking in the mirror and just, the fact God made me so handsome, can we praise him? I was talking to some other people, and you know, people are basically stupid, but I'm not. And it's just awesome to not be stupid and ugly. So, please don't do that on Sunday. But you do compare yourselves to others, don't you? Right? Quran, are you a good dad? Don't answer. He's a real good dad compared to other dads. But what about compared to his heavenly father? Right? Are, are, you, are you a good worker? Are you a good Christian? You see, we, we like to compare ourselves to others, and especially how well we're doing compared to others, right? Let me ask it this way. Which is easier for you to see, your sin or my sin? And which looks bigger before your eyes? Anybody married? Who's the bigger sinner, you or your spouse, right? In our house, I know how it really works. It's me. But we're very much like Pharisees. We live with the I, 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 I component of life. I want to do this, so I'll do it. I'm good compared to someone. So, so don't, don't make the Pharisees into the weasels. But don't make the tax collector into the dopey dog. You know, we, we, some people don't like the IRS. Right? When they, they can't badmouth the IRS. Don't do it. Biblically, pay your taxes, rejoice. But tax collectors aren't like IRS personnel. Somebody works for the IRS, I apologize, or listen to anything. I'm, I'm getting there, I'm not bad-mouthing you. The closest illustration of a tax collector today would be a drug dealer or a pimp. So, you know, if, if you had a, a guy walk in with the fur coat and the top hat and the strut, right? Why do all pimps strut? Is that just movies? I personally don't hang out with many pimps, but you wouldn't be like, oh, you poor little soul, we should pray for you, right? Or, or maybe you got a, a muscle working down in, in the Bronx, collecting money, extorting money. 
walking into the cleaners, walking into 70s. Hey, Rich, your money's due. You, you, you got to pay up, 1,500 bucks this week. Right? Like, oh, Kim's going, oh, that poor soul, Richard, we should pray for him. Right? Tax collectors, well, this guy wasn't overstated when he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's a pretty bad dude. Pharisee would be the person you'd enjoy hanging out with at church. You know the good Christian? Because this is what this prayer sounds a lot like. Oh, it's not me, it's all God. You ever, you ever hear that? It's a Christianese expression. It's not me, it's God. Basically coming out of, no, I know I'm really good, but I can't get credit. God gets all the credit. This would be the, the Christian approach. Let's say that I do something you find really kind. You're like, thank you so much. I could say, well, that's not me, that's God. Because on my own, I have no interest in helping you out. <laughs> Frankly, on my own, you're a nuisance to me. I want to go back to the old self in the flesh. You got nothing to benefit me by. If you were a billionaire, I'd come by and help you do your leaves every day for free because maybe you leave something in your will, but you ain't going to tip me over the edge. So you can thank God because on my own, I'm a wicked, nasty person, but God is changing me from the inside out. You see the difference there? And so the Pharisee would be the person you'd love to hang out with. They'd be the person volunteering for everything, clean cut, never cursing, they give you all the movie recommendations that are super clean movies with nothing bad in them. Never smoke, never drink, never do anything bad on the outside. But Jesus talks about the inside, doesn't he? The tax collector, well, well he's the one you don't want to hang around. He's the bad dude. He's the smelly guy. He's the one who harms other people. He's the extortioner. He's the reviler. He's the he's active adulterer. He's selling drugs in the community that your kid is taking and dealing with problems from. He's stealing from the shop. He's treating women like objects and selling them for personal gain. He's a bad dude. And don't miss, this bad dude cries out to be merciful to me. And then look at the very end of the text our Lord says, I tell you, this man, this, this, this tax collector, this street thug, this pimp, this drug dealer, this strong armor, this bad dude, what does it say? He went down to his house justified. It's one of those things we can read, guys. And just, whoop, I don't think you heard what I just said, though. Side note, you know those Westminster study we're doing? The old English, embrace it, it slows you down. It makes you hear and, and focus on what you're hearing. He went home justified. What does justified mean? You've been in church long enough, you would have heard someone use the expression, it means just as if I'd never sinned. It's actually not right. Because justified means just as if you lived a life of perfect obedience all the way past, eternally future. Here's what justified is. It's a legal term. It means counted righteous, spared from punishment, reconciled to God. It's a passive perfect verb in this context, meaning 
carried out by someone else upon the individual, totally, perfectly completed. This man went home justified. This man has received expiation and propitiation. This man has become a friend of God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, now chew on this with me, if you wouldn't mind. Does Jesus call us to obedience? Yes. Does Jesus say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments? Yes. Does Jesus say in Luke 9 that you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me? Yes. Does he say that we need to hate our mother, father, sister, brother, even our very own self? Yes. He's not joking. But what is the place of obedience in the life of a believer? Well, this is what the text is about. I'm going to take a John Piper quote here that I love. I know what your feelings are about John Piper, but I hope your feelings about this, this quote are, are in agreement with me. We are not justified by the righteousness God works in us, but by the righteousness Christ is for us. Do you hear that? We're not justified by the good things we do. We're justified by the perfect work of Christ alone. And as those who are justified, we now have the joy of laboring in Christ by his power for his glory, never thanking him, God, look, look how good I am. Mm -mm. Thanking him, look how good you are. Look how merciful you are. Look how kind and forgiving and gracious and strong and mighty you are. You see, our obedience is not at all about being right with God. The fact is, you can't be right with God. You can't obey. You can't do the right thing for the right reason. And that's why we have so many marvelous, marvelous reminders. I don't know. Flip over to Philippians. Let's have a little fun praising God here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul's righteousness has nothing to do with what Paul does. It has everything to do with what God has done in Christ. Remember Romans? We were there a few years ago. So I'm sure it's deeply embedded in your head. You go down to Romans 3.28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Do you hear that? We're not justified by what we do. We're justified by what Christ has done. And it's those who are justified. We have a joy before us in serving God. And in fact, the commandments of God are not burdensome, but a joy and a delight to the heart. I love your law, says the psalmist. Why? 
Well, because he knows God and he knows his position before God and he knows what the law of God is. Sweeter than honey, more to be desired than fine gold. Well, here's the wrestle, folks. How many of you are just rip-roaring ready for this time and ever forward to be like, whatever you say, God, that I will do. Anybody there? God, take my whole life, take all my stuff, and do what you want with it. Here's my calendar. Clear it off. Tell me what to do with it. Here are all the monies you've entrusted to me. You use them how you want. Here's all the abilities I have. You tell me what you want me to do, and I will do it. Why are we not there yet? Because God doesn't intend us to be yet. Because he is glorified by carrying out a miraculous work in the life of a believer by the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of those who already are justified, who are now being sanctified. You are positionally perfect, yet practically not so yet. But God will make you more and more like Christ day by day if you are truly saved. So how do you know if you're saved? Really boils down to this. Are you doing enough good? No! Did you cry out to God, be merciful to me? Have you seen your sin? Is your attitude to God, I don't care about your nonsense. Be afraid! Be very afraid, because you may have five years, you may have 50 years, you may have 70 years where you can spit in God's face and mock him and go, I don't care, this stupid blabbering pastor, when will he just shut his mouth? Listen, I may be stupid and I may blabber, but this is not what I'm saying, this is what God's saying. God invites people to turn to him and be saved. And the day you meet him, you will not spit in his face. But hopefully you will remember that God allowed others, listen to this, to spit in his face so that he might save us. He was humiliated, but he would be exalted. He would be glorified. But for those of us who have turned to God, why do we struggle? It's a matter of forgetfulness. We, let me ask you a question. We're, We're here for... 9.30. By the way, those of you who were late this week, I told everybody we're going to start at 9.15 next week. So you'll be here at 9.30. I'm kidding. So I got got to get you an even time tally is what I'm after. We're here for an hour, hour and a half in our current context. God willing, we'll get back to the Sunday school and the food and the laughter downstairs. But even if you're you're here for three hours, let's say say normal times, get here at 9 o'clock for prayer and you scoot out at 1 o'clock. Four hours. How much TV you watch a week, roughly? Anybody got one of these things? You ever been on a social media platform? Or this thing called the internet? How many hours a week do you spend being discipled by the world? Right? Which, which have you heard more this week? Jesus loves you and is sovereign. Or, cases are rising. Cases are rising. We're all going to die. You get a little bit of Jesus is sovereign. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's present. 
and I'm his. And then the rest of the week, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Buy this product to protect you from falling skies. The sky is falling, the sky is falling. Buy this medication to make your hips feel better. How many, how many Psalms do you have memorized? First, how many medicinal advertisements do you have memorized? Oh, 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 Ozantic. I don't even know what it is, but I know the song. I also know blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or sits in the seat of sinners. You see what I'm after here? Our struggle as Christians to walk in the joy of the truth is we live in a world to take a Tony Ranky book title of competing spectacles. But the greatest spectacle we should gaze upon is Christ and his finished work. And that's what we need to remind one another of day after day after day. And that's a battle, and, and we're going to keep getting there. Matter of fact, the next Sunday school book, it's downstairs. It, was, um, it arrived last March. And it arrived the week, the last week we gathered for a full functional Sunday. And I thought, you know, we'll hold this one more week and we'll hand it out next week. And the book is entitled Side by Side. Don't go buying it because I got 25 copies downstairs, right? And we'll dig into this. But it's this wonderful balance of living life alongside one another. Casually at times, casually perhaps most of the time, but at other times reminding one another of who Christ is, who we are in him, and what he has done. You see, so when your calendar says, I don't have time, I can't do it, you need a brother or sister in Christ to go, no, no, you're talking in the flesh, you can do this. When your bank account goes, I can't do it, no, you need to hear, you can because you forget who your heavenly father is. But when someone's rubbing you the wrong way and you're like, I can't love them, I can't forgive them, no, 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 you need someone to remind you, yes, you can. Because you've been justified. You have a second birthday. You have an advocate with the Father and the power of God at work in you. You went home justified. Do you see what's going on here? Is that the position that you find yourself in as one who has been justified? One who has cried out to God to be mercy seated? To have the wrath of God taken from you and the favor of God directed at you? If not, Please be unsettled. I pray the Holy Spirit would radically unsettle you. Because here's where we started and, and here's where we'll end. What do you feel like you really, really, really need? iPhone 15. You know, you, you want to have fun. They have this tracking software. Turn it on on your phone somehow and, and think how much time you spend looking at a piece of glass. And if you have one of these phones, you all know we all struggle with it. There are a variety of reasons y'all struggle with it. In fact, as a parent, I would never give my kids a pack of cigarettes. They're addictive and dangerous. Just saying. A little bit of pornography in a, in a young mind with a dopamine kick in on the back end. Try it out. Take your phone away. Take your phone when you get home. Put it away for the rest of the day. Watch what it feels like. You just, I've never been a smoker, but I imagine it's like you need the nicotine patch, right? You walk by, ding! This is what we should be looking at. 
Yea, even more than this, the very face of God is what we should be gazing at. And while we can't see him with our very own eyes, one day we will. So what is it that you really think you need? We'll go across the age gaps. The phone, the pony, the dog, the fill in the blank. Do you know what God gave us in the person and work of Christ Jesus? Not only the very thing we need, but the only thing that gives us joy. The only thing that will give us true contentment. The actual very thing we were made for, fellowship with God. Now, y'all don't believe me in full because I don't believe myself in full, but that's because I'm not yet fully sanctified. But I praise God I am justified because my justification is not dependent upon how well I do. It's dependent, uh, totally dependent upon how well Christ did in my place. And from the freedom of that position, now I get to hear the word of Christ when he says to me, Deny yourself, because now we can have a conversation through a position of one reconciled to the other. I can say to my Savior, I can say to my Father, I can say to the Spirit who loved me and saved me, I don't want to, but I do kind of want to. I really need your help, and he promises that he will help. We can be totally honest with God because he knows everything about us, yet knowing everything about us, what has he done? He saved us. Why? Because of the deep, deep love of Jesus. So the text says, and we'll close here, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pharisee walks right up, right outside the place of sacrifice, you can be certain. He's got the, the, the dingers, what do you call the bells on the bottom of his, his clothes, he's, he's dressed to the nines. He's the, he's the church man, the one you all, the one. Lord, look at me. I am so thankful I'm not like those wicked, bad, vile pinners. You know, those, those, those people who voted for the other candidate, you know those people? Those dirty, dumb, blind fools? You can do this either way politically, can't you? How could someone be so stupid? Mm -hmm. those, those, those adulterers, those people who watch those nasty movies, people still smoking cigarettes, even people who are on their phones. Lord, I don't even have a smartphone, I praise you. I have a flip phone to show my holiness. Thank you, Lord. Well, he's praying over here. He's having a personal pep rally. And then way out yonder, we got someone who doesn't even show up at the temple praying. We got, we got the tax collector. Head down, heartbroken, pounding his breast, a position of grief. You ever, you ever watch a funeral in, in this part of the world, even today? Screaming, weeping, wailing, hitting oneself. This man is grieving sin. From a distance with his eyes down, he cries out, God, be merciful to me. And that's all he says. I tell you, says our Lord, this man 
that bad man, he went down to his house justified. Charles Spurgeon refers to the Pharisee as a man who was too good to be saved. The tax collector, however, was not too bad to be saved. It is to the extent we see our badness that we are able to see the goodness and grace and mercy of God, the power of God, the affection of God, and from that position, we see the joy in serving God. So yes, there are commandments. Yes, we need to keep his commandments. But they can only be kept from a position of one who is justified. Don't labor to impress God, you can't. Don't labor to earn his favor, for you can't. Labor knowing that you have received his favor, and it is he himself through his spirit, through his word, who will cause you miraculously to desire to serve him as he conforms you to the image of Christ. See, I wasn't too far off when I was using my illustration of it's not me, it's God. I'm not totally depraved on my own. But anything good and God-honoring that I can do, I can only do by the power of God. That's not cliche. That's proper theology. The tax collector went home justified. I hope we all do too. Let us pray. Father God, how incredibly merciful and powerful you are. While this is simply a, a parable, it is also a truth carried out throughout thousands of years of history. What would cause a tax collector to realize how corrupt and wicked he was and how holy you are? What would cause a Pharisee like Paul on his way to tear up some churches to realize what a wicked man he was when he saw himself as the most righteous man on the planet? Well, we know the answer, Lord. It is you. It is the proclamation of your word and the effectual work of your spirit, causing people to be convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment, and then you causing your elect to be born anew. Lord, how incredible and powerful and gracious and merciful you are. Lord, for those of us who have been justified, help us to see more fully what that truly means, how you truly did that, and who we truly are in Christ. Lord, remind us that you are God alone, that the world may sound scary, in fact, the news and social media make their money by being scary. For if they're scary enough, we keep coming back for more, looking for hope. But Lord, you who need to make no money, for you own a cattle on a thousand hills, the whole world is yours and everything in it. You are not a God who delights in terrorizing people. You're a God who delights in saving people, in comforting people and sanctifying people. Lord, forgive us for all those times we have forgotten who you are 
and yes, even who we are in you, and work mightily in our lives to show us the joy to be had in trusting you. Trusting you from the position of being reconciled to you, being able to pray and call out to you, Father, Abba. For those, Lord, here today or listening in who do not yet know you, I pray, Lord, that you might work mightily in their lives and, if need be, downright terrorize their spirit. Give them a glimpse of their unrighteousness. Give them a glimpse of your holiness. Give them a glimpse of eternity. And give them a glimpse of our Lord and Savior hung upon the cross, laying in the tomb, but yet risen from the grave. Allow them, Holy Spirit, to hear your voice when you say, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And Lord, by your miraculous work, save them. Lord, send us out into this world. Allow us to live life alongside one another in greater fullness of joy, of knowing who you are, who we are in you, and crying out to people, Our God saves. Lord Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you. Father, thank you. You alone are God. And by your grace, we are united to you forever. Jesus, in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. You want to close this out with a song, Jay? <laughs>